Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while also raising children. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin, and I'm a healthcare lawyer, founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps employers retain their new parent top talent, and I'm mama to two wonderful redheaded boys. At Parents at Work, we are back after a couple of months. We've had several bouts of COVID in our house. We went through the holidays and just had general life stuff happen. So I'm super excited to be tuned in again with my wonderful co-host and amazing husband, Jason Levin. Hey, Jason. Hey, Lori. Amazing wife. I think you're hitting on something that's really important that we did take a hiatus for all these different things. And Lori, I appreciate you powering through uh, after having COVID recently. So one of those things where we're all just trying to balance everything. So I'm the founder of Ready, Set, Launch LLC, where I'm speaker, trainer, and coach. I advise executives on how to grow their professional services practice and make intentional career transitions. My debut book, Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch, is available on Amazon and wherever you find books online. So if you've been following along at all with Parents at Work, you know that we interview a handful of moms and a handful of dads in different sectors or industries. And today we're so excited to be kicking off our pair of episodes focused on moms and then dads in the consulting world. Today we have two fantastic consulting moms with us, Liz Lapatina and Brooke Weddle. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Liz, and then Jason's going to tell you a little bit about Brooke, and then we will dig into the conversation with them. Liz Lapatina is a managing director with Deloitte Consulting, focused on healthcare operations and business transformation. Liz has experience working with PBMs and health plans on new business model launches, business transformations, consumer experience and strategy, and performance improvement initiatives. Liz is also involved in Deloitte's well-being initiatives, leading adoption of well-being strategies at one of the firm's largest accounts. Liz lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where it's February right now. I imagine it's a little cold there with her husband, James, her two daughters who are ages seven and five, and her dog. In her spare time, Liz enjoys reading, riding her Peloton bike, and serving as the cookie manager for her daughter's Girl Scout troops. We'll have to talk about our favorite Girl Scout cookies. Okay, over to you, Jason. We're definitely going to have to talk about our favorite Girl Scout cookies, that's for sure. It's my pleasure to introduce Brooke Weddle, who's a partner at McKinsey & Company. As a leader in the firm's people and organizational performance practice, Brooke helps organizations across the world achieve sustained performance through transformation. Globally, she leads the Change Leaders Forum, an executive capability building series on transformational change, and McKinsey's organizational work in advanced industries, aerospace and defense, automotive, and electronics. In addition, she leads the firm's culture and change management work in North America. Brooke lives in Northern Virginia with her husband, Miguel, and her two children, who are 8 and 10. And in addition to all the wonderful things about Brooke, she too, like me, is a wonderful appreciator of network theory. And one of my favorite articles that she wrote was on social capital, building back better relationships at work. Welcome, Brooke. We're so excited to have you both here. Okay, let's start first with the, the Girl Scout cookie question, because that's just a good place to start. Liz, yes. your, your favorite Girl Scout cookie, and then Brooke. Well, I'm going to tell you, my favorite Girl Scout cookie is the Caramel Delight or Samoa, Ooh. depending on where you live. And my deep, dark secret, I do not like Thin Mints at all. Oh, that is a deep, dark secret. And I also didn't know that Samoas had another name. Oh, dear. I grew up in Samoa land. Um, Brooke. 
Any favorite Girl Scout cookie? Well, that was actually a good segue because Thin Mints are my favorite. Um, <laughs> they are uh, amazing and thin enough that you can eat so many and not feel particularly guilty about it. <laughs> well, as we um, always try to have a diversity of viewpoints represented on this podcast, I'm glad that you're coming at it from different angles. Jason, do you want to weigh in? For me, it's either Thin Mints that have been in the freezer. So I, I like a, a really cold Thin Mint or a s'more that has been microwaved for five seconds. Ah, excellent. Yes, I'm definitely a Samoa or shoot, Liz, help me out here. What's the one with the peanut butter Carmel in the middle? Caramel Delight. There's one that has peanut butter in the middle too. It comes in an orange oh, box. Oh, the peanut butter patty or Tagalong. Tagalong. It's there Tagalong. It's, or is oh, it the Dosi Dough? And the Dosi Dough. That's what I'm thinking of. It's the Dosi Dough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like all Girl Scout cookies. Liz, let's start with you. Um, in terms of working parenthood, can you tell us a little bit about your own personal working parent story, Liz? Yeah, absolutely. So I have always worked in consulting. I had my children a little bit later in my career. So I was a senior manager kind of a couple years away from the, the partner managing director track when I had my first daughter. I was very invested in my career and what I did um, before I had kids. I knew it would be a major change to have a child, have a career in consulting. Um, but I wanted to really give it a fair chance and see how I adapted to things, um, see how it worked for our family, for our daughter. I also had had the opportunity to look at a number of my colleagues and see how they had adapted to the transition. And one of the things that I knew right away was that we were going to need really solid, reliable, full-time help. So we decided very early on that we were going to get a full-time nanny, uh, which, which has been a huge help to our family um, along the way. I think a common consideration for women who have consulting careers when they have children is whether or not they want to take an internal role or, and have a period of time where they're not traveling and, and may not have the same level of responsibility. I actually never did that. I kind of felt like, let me see if client service still works for me. Let me see if travel still works for me. So... Um, my maternity leaves were both five months long, which is a fabulous benefit that I really encourage um, uh, uh, employers to think about. I think it makes a huge difference versus returning after you know six or 12 weeks. Once I returned after maternity leave with my older daughter, Anna, went back into client service. I was really lucky to have... There's three people I can point to who have been strong sponsors of me and my career. And... You know, one of them really helped me get back into a large healthcare account, you know, with a good pipeline of work. I was able to get back into client delivery and, and things were kind of humming. And then a little over a year after returning with my first daughter, I went back out on leave because I was having my second daughter. Um, they're only 20 months apart. After that maternity leave, I was coming back with a barely two year old and an infant. So it was another sort of inflection point around, okay, this was doable with one. Is this doable with two? This time actually, you know, did consider other career options, other possibilities. But I also considered advice that it actually may have come out of your mindful return course, Lori. I can't quite remember. Um, but that not to make any huge decisions in sort of that first six months back to work. And again, 
you know, my sponsors were sort of there for me again. Um, and two of them really helped me get a, a role that was in my sweet spot in terms of the work that I really love to do. A great group of clients I was working with. And they were just starting a major two-year transformation of their pharmacy business. Um, so by getting onto that project and knowing where I was going to be, where my sales and my revenue, which are, are kind of two important metrics in a consulting uh, career, where they were going to come from, that was sort of key to my success. Um, and I, I sort of found that role. I thrived. And I really sort of haven't looked back. And I would, I think the final thing I would just say is going through this career journey and these transitions as we've, we've had kids and I've, you know, my roles have evolved. You know, my husband, James, and I have, have really tried to approach this as like family decisions and sort of periodically stepping back and saying, are our careers working for each of us? And are they working for our family? And if not, let's talk about what we might need to adjust. I love that intentionality and reflection that you're building in there, Liz. Thank you for sharing your story. It's really one that highlights the real importance of mentors and sponsors. And I think your question, is this doable with two, is one that has crossed a lot of people's minds and, and folks can relate to. You also mentioned that point about not making major decisions in the first couple of months back from leave. And that is absolutely one of the principles uh, that we try to teach in Mindful Return is just see how it goes and see see what happens. And I'm Glad you were able to take that pause. Um, Brooke, over to you. We would love to hear your working parent story as well. Uh, my working parent story starts in Seoul, South Korea, where I had my, my son, my first child, Alejandro. First time parents in a different country. It was different on many levels. At the time at McKinsey, I was uh, an engagement manager, which is the equivalent of a project manager. I kind of took the, at the time, I think it was three months and enjoyed every second of it, came back and I, you know, had the the opportunity to have a, a really incredible support system in Korea. And we were working with just uh, an amazing nanny. We actually went back to Korea this year and met up with this amazing nanny. That's how, that's how uh, incredible that relationship was. And so went back to work. And at the time at McKinsey, given that I had moved countries and continents, I had actually already switched over to focusing on a kind of client service that is centered around assets and solutions. So I was leading our portfolio of org solutions and assets. And these are designed to help you quantitatively measure aspects of your organization. And it was a good fit for me, given that my background as a PhD is in social science. So I was still serving clients, but in a way that was a little bit more, I would call it predictable, which was helpful. So that was the, the first kid. And then actually 14 months later, we had my daughter. So very close in age. And that wasn't entirely by design, but I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Actually, to this day, our kids are incredibly close. And it was like, 2014 was a blur, but we got through it, did a lot of diapers. And um, I actually returned to work very shortly after my daughter was born, Ava. And that was a little bit my way of establishing some balance. I actually needed to have some 
what I would call normal adult interactions to complement the craziness of the home life with having two babies really in the house. And so, you know, kind of continued to to work, to, to have the kids at home, continued to be supported by the wonderful nanny and, of course, my amazing husband. And we've always approached our relationship as a true partnership and trying to balance our different, you know, when, when one is kind of really making a hard push on work, having the other be able to to flex more in terms of schedule time and energy devoted to the kids. But that's a similar to Liz, that's a constant kind of discussion and, and dialogue that one needs to have. So that that's kind of the way it happened. We eventually moved back to the U.S. and we're in Minneapolis for two years and then came to D.C., mostly because we want to be connected back to family and have the kids really supported by the family so close by. And that's that's been wonderful. And, you know, at McKinsey, it's also, I've felt very supported by the company, the ability to kind of go and do what I wanted to do in, in Asia, then come back, made partner about five years ago and and continue to be, you know, the working mom that I am today. So that, that's a little bit the origin story. Thank you, Brooke. Um, we really appreciate hearing your story. and can absolutely relate to the desire for normal adult interactions. I was on a walk with some Mindful Return alumni this morning, and one of the moms has a three-year-old and baby twins. And she recently went back to work and she was like, Monday is the best day of the week (laughs) after we've, you know, had all three children over the weekend and definitely appreciate the desire to talk to other adults. Um, Brooke, let's stick with you for one more question, which is really sort of a two-part question. One is, how would you describe in general what it's like to be a parent in management consulting these days, if you can generalize? And if that has anything to do with travel, I would love maybe your top handful of working parent travel tips. I think being a working parent and the, and the consulting and, and the travel, <laughs> uh, you know, look, it's interesting. It's been an interesting last couple of years, as we all know. You know, I, like many others in the consulting industry, uh, March of, you know, whatever it was, 2020, right? Just everything shut down. And I went from traveling at least once a week to traveling. And there was no travel. And I think, you know, we're, we're back to kind of a new rebalancing and... I'm back traveling quite a bit. I do think there is more mindfulness around when to travel versus not. And certainly there's better infrastructure in place for when you do not need or want to travel. And that, you know, obviously that all the the platforms we have now to communicate and, and have that be interactive and a meaningful experience. So I think that's that's all been good. I, I do think on a like on a relating back to this question of doing it as a parent. My kids, I think, were a bit shocked when I started to travel again. It's it's as if they had forgotten what life was like <laughs> prior to the pandemic. So that's been a little bit of a readjustment that we've had to work through. My son said the other day, he's like, so when you're taking all these trips, like, when does the travel stop? I'm like, the travel is part of the job. <laughs> so uh, that's that's yeah. been, you know, we're figuring that out together. And then in terms of travel tips, gosh, like, I'm not sure... I'm the best on this front. What I am always solving for is getting home as quickly as possible. So I am no stranger to red eyes. <laughs> I am uh, in and out in in terms of and very, very good at finding 
flights that allow me to optimize and be back as as quickly as I can. Now, of course, I want to spend time with my teams and all the amazing talent that I work with. But at the end of the day, I got to see my kids and, and be with them at the big moments. The other thing I'd say just on travel and maybe generalizing more broadly is really protect the moments that matter. I actually learned the hard way. I missed a, a big milestone in my daughter's life very early on. It did not feel good. And it was a good way to learn the lesson that only I can protect those times. And, and so I, I make that a big priority, whether it's a, you know, a birthday, a holiday, a class reading event or a play, a school play. I make no apologies about that. That is my biggest tip is just to, you know, whether it's travel or not, just protect those, those special moments and, and hold tight to them. So important, Brooke. Yes, only we can set our own boundaries there. Um, I'm also just uh, smiling about the kids forgetting about work travel. And I, I'm feeling a bit rusty myself on work travel, but the percentage of their lives that that two or three year period represented when we go right. home, it's huge yes. compared to the percentage of our own lives. So yeah, they don't really have a memory of it. Liz, over to you. How would you broadly describe what it's like to be a parent in management consulting and any other travel related tips? Yes, I, I think a lot of similarities to what Brooke talked about. And I think I'll speak about travel. I think the other thing that being a parent in consulting uh, requires is, you know, you are in client service. There are moments your client needs you that that don't necessarily align to, uh, you know, when your kids want you to be uh, available to your clients. So I had a memorable uh, incident over uh, fall break this past year where, you know, a, a client had called me late in the day to tell me about how a meeting had gone and and a, a delay that was was going to happen in a project. My five year old was came racing into the room, very very upset because she could not find the iPad and she was still entitled to twenty more minutes of iPad time. Um, and that just sort of luckily I think after COVID that sort of makes for a good laugh for everyone because we've all been through some sort of moment like that. But uh, just or you know I do talk to my my daughter sometimes. You know, being in Central Time in Minneapolis, I, I have clients on the East Coast and sometimes are. And starting calls while they're wrapping up breakfast and talk about, you know, when you need something like ask very quietly, um, but that doesn't necessarily stop them from interjecting themselves into into meetings occasionally. From a travel standpoint, I think COVID really changed travel expectations. And and like Brooke, you know, before COVID, I traveled almost every week and that was kind of a, a given in our house. And then there was no travel for about a year and a half. And now I think we are also getting into a more sort of intentional hybrid model where I'd say I'm traveling two to three times a month. And, you know, there is always sort of a clear project, client, or firm reason that I'm traveling. What is interesting about that, and, and I will say my, my uh, uh, younger daughter, uh, when COVID hit, was three, had just turned three. And so she had no memory of of my traveling. And so it was really a whole adjustment for her when travel started to become a regular thing again. What's interesting about this sort of hybrid model is I do find that my husband and I do have to spend quite a bit of time kind of aligning on, you know, who's traveling when for which days. He also has travel for his job. He works for um, a large health plan. And so we sort of need to make sure that we are thinking about who's home, if both of us have things we need to travel for, making sure our nanny can stay. 
So the logistics, even though there's less travel, I would say they have not gone away at all. In terms of traveling and how to make it work, I mean, I I do agree with the sort of concept of like being gone for the time you need to be gone. Um, And I do try to maximize, you know, what am I going to do with my clients while I'm on a trip? What am I going to do with my team to make sure they're getting what they need? And at home, I find, you know, FaceTime is a godsend for us. We, We do that almost daily. And then for longer trips or times when I'm going a long distance, like I actually went to India for work a couple of weeks ago, the promise of gift at the end of the trip goes a long way towards making my kids very comfortable with travel. Love that, Liz. Those are some fantastic tips. I was also just laughing at the demand for the remaining 20 minutes of screen time. We also have little people, not so little anymore in our house who count exactly. I have seven minutes and 37 seconds left, mommy, you know, so they're, they're very up on it. Oh, yes. She is not going to be shorted. (laughs) Yes. Wonderful. Over to you, Jason, for our next questions. You know, as a coach and trainer, I think it's our children's ability to lean into their leadership skills as they work on their ability to negotiate. So it's, um, that is a constant conversation. Uh, I want to start with Brooke on this question. And I love how both Liz and Brooke, you you really are leaning and accelerating in your careers while managing all of these different types of logistics. And no doubt it takes uh, a whole deal of support to make all that happen. Brooke, I'm curious, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? Yeah, totally. I, I will talk about that. Just on picking up on this idea of gifts, though, just for a second, I just got to add on to that. I, of, of course, do that as well. But I feel like over time, it's been more difficult to get those gifts because if, before I could buy a quick one at the airport and that would like be, you know, a huge thing or even like a, a hotel shoehorn, right? Like even that could be interesting to a three-year-old. But now it's like they want Fortnite gift cards. So yes, the the world of of gifts and incentives rapidly changing with children. But um, on workplace supports, uh, yeah, I felt very well supported. McKinsey has a philosophy of make your own McKinsey. And when I first walked into a Stanford University recruiting event and heard that, it sounded like a bit of a slogan, right? Let's be honest. It is actually played out that way. And the way that it works is you're in charge of your own development and learning and pathway. It's on you, right, to to ask for what you want, essentially, and, and McKinsey will do its best to support you. So I have felt like that has actually been very true of my experience. And like I said, whether that's going to Korea or having two kids, The way it works is, you know, we mentioned this before, the sponsorship aspect of making your own McKinsey and and particularly in the way I've made my own McKinsey is not to be underestimated at all. I when I first got to McKinsey, I thought that I was one of these people that, you know, hey, I'm going to work hard and basically get, you know, deliver impact on my project. And that's how I will get ahead. And of course, that's a big part of success. But having that network of sponsors and champions to really create opportunities that you yourself cannot create is just enormously helpful. And uh, McKinsey does a lot on that front, right? For instance, we'll, we do our... Actually, it's it's something that's happening now. It's the our annual mentorship and sponsorship survey. And we actually hold people accountable for you know the level of sponsorees and mentees that they have uh, because we believe in those concepts so deeply. So that that's one. The other uh, thing I'd say kind of back to the Korea point is McKinsey places a a great deal of emphasis around creating global leaders and citizens. 
And I've been able to to live, of course, in Korea, but then travel extensively, work extensively in other countries as part of McKinsey. And that's been a big part of my personal journey, but it's part of my family journey as well. I've been able to to use some of those opportunities to really bring my family literally along uh, with me uh, to discover, you know, kind of new parts of the world. And and that's been really great. So those those would be a couple I'd mention. Surely there are more, but overall, it's just, you know, you got to do the work yourself of really determining what you want. And, and that can be quite hard sometimes. But with that in, in hand, I think there's, I felt very well supported by the different policies, yes, but more specifically the people at McKinsey to make that happen. You know, Brooke, that is brilliant. And I, and I think you're right that the hard work is determining what you want and then you taking it to the next level of asking for what you want. And I really appreciate how you're talking about the importance of building out that network of sponsors and champions so that they're going to bat for you on, uh, on your behalf. Um, and then, you know, as you're talking about the global piece, I mean, both Lori and I have lived abroad, and that just is a whole other level of being able to uh, not only teach yourself, but uh, to be able to have a family while doing that abroad. That's uh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And now for a quick note from our sponsor. This episode of the Parents at Work podcast is brought to you by Mindful Return, an employee benefit designed to support new parents through the transition back to work after parental leave. Hi, I'm Lori Mahalik-Levin, CEO and founder of Mindful Return. When I went back to work after maternity leave, twice, after having two sons about two years apart, I realized that I could take a course on any baby-related subject under the sun, from making a birth plan to pumping milk to even pureeing baby food. But I could not find any resources to help me a grown-up, navigate the personal and professional identity transition into working parenthood. I created Mindful Return to fill this gap. Employers, Mindful Return is a four-week online group-based course that's both really affordable and really effective. Our employee retention statistics among our course alumni are off the charts. Head over to mindfulreturn.com and click on For Employers in the Navigation tab to learn more about bringing our programs for working parents to your workplace. 75 employers already offer Mindful Return as a parental leave benefit, and we'd love to give you a quick behind-the-scenes tour of our courses. Again, head over to mindfulreturn.com and click on For Employers to get in touch. Now back to our episode. Same question for Liz. As your evolution uh, at Deloitte, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? I think similar to Brooke, there was a combination of structural support, but also um, having the right sponsors and practice support to give me flexibility in places that I needed it. So as I mentioned before, we have um, about 24 weeks of uh, parental leave, which I think is uh, fantastic and, and really gave me the time to feel like I had spent really quality time with each of my, my daughters, had some time to myself and was ready to come back and, and energized to get back to work. We also have a backup childcare program that um, I have found to be very useful at times. Um, Again, that concept of 
of client service, you know, sometimes uh, uh, the moment your clients need you um, can also be the day that your nanny has the stomach flu. And it um, has really helped with being able to maintain a level of, of continuity in, in work that wouldn't otherwise be possible. But, you know, I think what the, the structural things help, but I think what um, has really enabled me to be successful and, and also been most valuable for some of my colleagues who are parents is a level of informal and formal sponsorship. So I am involved in um, our sort of management of our uh, senior managers, which is a, a time in life when um, people often are, are having children additions to their family. And we do really make an effort to think about who is a someone who is willing to be a sponsor for that individual, willing to help them with the off-ramping as they you know, transition to experience this life change, the on-ramp as they return, um, making sure people are uh, finding roles that kind of align with what they're looking for in terms of type of work and travel expectations. I think that that is you know, really critical for success in a profession like consulting. I, I mentioned that I was in India a couple weeks ago. And while I was there, I um, did a, a women's sort of networking and career development session. And there were a couple of questions that people asked around, you know, there are times when I've, I've wanted something, but I've just been like scared to ask, or, you know, I've been worried that I'll be perceived as, as weak or not a team player if I do it. And so my colleague and I, um, you know, said to the room, we said, you know, raise your hand if you have ever taken that step and asked for support or an accommodation or relief on something. And most of the hands in the room went up. And I said, now raise your hand if you were told, no, we won't help you. We can't accommodate that. And not a single hand went up. And, you know, I said, I, I hope that this sort of sends home that message that the firm wants to help and leaders as individuals want to help. We don't always know what you need. So that act of raising your hand and, and saying and telling people what you need, it can be really hard, but but do it because you will find that there's a community that really wants to help you, that really wants to make things work over the long term. And I, I think that applies sort of across the board to our firm. And I wasn't sure what the response would be when I asked the question. And I was I was really heartened to see that that everyone felt like they had they had been heard and they had been accommodated. You know, Liz, I love how you are encouraging others to speak up, to use their voice, that, you know, you're using a megaphone to get other people uh, excited about communicating their own needs. So kudos to you on that, being a, a champion for others. Back to Brooke. I want to kind of pivot. As a coach, I'm always curious about people's journeys. Uh, you, Brooke, and you, Liz, have been uh, really wonderful in sharing your own career journeys and really high-profile, client-facing work. So, Brooke, what was your first paying job when you were growing up? And what did you learn from it? Well, I, my first paying job was with the Sunshine Sales Company. And I sold stationery, gift wrap, cards door-to-door -door in my neighborhood. And I absolutely loved it. Um, I would come home. From, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it was like amazing. I would come home from school, and instead of like wanting to go on a play date or whatever, I would, I would 
sell things. And what I learned, well, first of all, I learned a lot about kindness. I mean, you know, so many people just opened up their front door. And like, I remember some like moms mostly would just sit on the front step with me and like go through the catalog and and order things. And I didn't have Amazon as a competitor back then. So (laughs) people really needed things. And um, yeah, so I learned, I learned that. And then the, the, like the really fun thing I learned too, was that when you work hard and, and put in the effort, uh, you get rewarded. And I worked very hard for one of these like mini TVs. And I, when I say mini TV, I mean, the screen was the size of like a box on Zoom. And the rest of the base was, gosh, the size of a toaster oven. So it was like, I'm dating myself, but that really was what it was like. Nice. And I had that, yeah, I had that TV in my room and I thought I was the queen of the world. It was such a thrilling experience to have that economic freedom that comes from working and, you know, doing something like that. Like it's actually a, a really I always go back to that because I it's a big part of like my development and my wanting my desire to ultimately become, you know, someone who works in business. I, I think that's outstanding. Door to door sales, you're pounding the pavement <laughs> in your neighborhood. But Jason, Jason, if I can jump in here, I suspect you're probably a little jealous because Jason loves stationery and paper and you know, <laughs> materials. So I bet that he was probably wishing that maybe selling stationery was one of his first jobs. If I had to, uh, no, no, I, I really am. I, I'm totally <laughs> jealous. I, no, Brooke, I'm jealous because like one of the few decisions I actually cared about when we were planning our wedding was the cardstock of the invitation. Oh and, wow! Well, yeah. We- Sunshine Sales Club is still in business. Maybe you can become, <laughs> right? Like an independent contractor for them. I don't know. There's still hope. There's <laughs> still hope. Thank you, Brooke. That is a wonderful story. So Liz, on to you. Your first job, what did it mean to you? Yeah. So my first job, I was a lifeguard at a hotel pool. Um, and I actually, I started when I was 14. So pretty young when I look back on it. And I've got to be honest, it was a relatively cushy job. It was a hotel pool. So it was not terribly busy. You know, you were out in the sun sitting by a pool. I will say, though, I was a lifeguard throughout high school. And, you know, it was a a great, you know, great way to pretty flexible on hours. I I worked at an indoor pool um, during the fall. And then when I was a junior in high school at that indoor pool, on a shift when I was not working, there was actually a drowning and little boy, um, um, you know, unfortunately drowned. And that was a little bit sobering of an experience. And not that I didn't take the job seriously from the get go, but, you know, it, it really hammered home to me the you know, you need to have your eyes on the pool at every moment. And you never know when when things um, might take a turn. Even to this day, I am the mom at the birthday pool parties who is like glued to the edge of the pool watching to make sure all of the kids are staying safe. So that's sort of been a, a life lesson that has stuck with me. Wow. Liz, uh, respect, respect, because that is so significant. And it's something that, you know, you, you know, you've really internalized. So I give you a lot of credit for one, I mean, I, uh, I've always been a fan of the helping professions. I put the lifeguards uh, in that. And I think you've even continued that in your own career as you're uh, championing others uh, within your own organization. So yeah. thank you for sharing I, that story. 
am also a huge advocate of swim lessons for kids as as early as you can. I hear that. Lori, next question for you. Yeah, I, that does sound traumatic, Liz. And we definitely got our kids into the swim lessons early. And then pa- the pandemic hit. We realized that swimming was one of those skills that sort of fell by the wayside while we were all stuck at home. So it's something we've literally dived back into um, in the past couple of months. Liz, let's stick with you for a minute. We were just reflecting on you know, what your early jobs taught you. I would like to pivot to your current existence as a working parent. What skills do you think that you've gained through parenthood that are particularly helpful to you in your consulting role? I think that, you know, to an extent, I'm not sure why parenting helped with this, but I feel like it has given me um, a better ability to put myself in someone else's shoes and think about what they are experiencing, what might motivate them. Uh, what might, um, you know, be demotivating to them? Um, you know, some of that may come from, um, having two daughters who are, uh, both have firm opinions of their own and, and trying to keep, uh, the family harmony. So it has definitely helped with that. Um, it has also made me smarter with my time. It occurred to me very early after coming back from uh, maternity leave that I had 10 hours of childcare a day. And that was 10 hours to get, you know, my work done. And I think I got much better at, you know, prioritizing what absolutely had to be done and working my way through that list. Third thing it has helped me with is helping others to Think about where they want to go and, you know, set a path to do that. And, and again, I think just motherhood has sort of opened my aperture to the fact that people have different career paths, have different career goals and, and really sort of thinking about the individual and what they are, what they are telling me where, where they are hoping to go and then supporting them as we think about what it will take to get them there. Thank you, Liz. I can relate to all three of those. Brooke, over to you, our stationary uh, saleswoman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, forever I will be known as that um, <laughs> danger in that story. Yeah, so what a, what a great question, first of all. Um, I would say three things. One, the first one has got to be, I, I think I truly have become a better listener as a result of, um, you know, becoming a parent uh, and, and listening you know, for what's not said, listening for emotion, listening, of course, in terms of rational and logical understanding, yes, but just being a more holistic listener and, you know, having young kids. And then also vis-a-vis your partner, in my case, my spouse, I think also just being really attuned to that has translated into being a better listener with clients. The second one I would say is an ability to remain calm. <laughs> Lots of stuff goes wrong as a parent, big and small. And, uh, you know, I think just having an ability to stay centered, irrespective of, of, of what happens. And certainly at work, you know, there's a lot of, um, challenging, you know, problems that we work on. And, you know, that includes kind of, again, intellectual problems we are trying to solve, but, also relationships and and trying to work things through and uh there's just a lot of complexity and so i think you know an ability to kind of remain calm and 
and centered and focused has has certainly been a skill I have honed as as a parent. And then I think related to that one, the third thing I'd say is a sense of humor. It related back to this notion that many, many ridiculous things happen as a parent. And uh, uh, I think I probably took myself a little bit more seriously before having kids. <laughs> and now I'm like, look, there's, there's a lot that happens. And, uh, and, and we can find humor and goodness in that. That's helped me build better relationships with my clients, whether it's sharing a joke or making light of something, again, in the appropriate context. <laughs> that I think has been helpful or with the team, right? Like, you know, there's nothing better than a good joke with a, a team in a team room where everyone's a little stressed out, right? About trying to, to make a deadline or whatnot. Yeah, lots of learnings, but those would be the three. Those are amazing. There's nothing like parenthood to uh, demote the ego and make humor very exactly. important. Yes. Yes. Back over to you, Jason, to bring us uh, home with our couple of final questions. We're going to do uh, the lightning round. But before we do, I, I, I love both of your comments in terms of Liz, your comment around managing your time and that this misconception that, you know, parents don't know how to manage their time. Uh, it's the completely opposite. You know, every minute of every day of what you plan to do. Uh, yes. And and so this <laughs> is just so important. Uh, and Brooke, you talking about being able to listen uh, actually, in our house, since we just watched uh, Maverick and Top Gun, each one in our house has a code name. So instead of Goose uh, and Viper, my youngest son, his name is Listen, and my oldest son's uh, code name is Breathe. So, wow, so. that's very enlightened. Very enlightened name. <laughs> These were their aspirational names that were imposed on them. Yes. <laughs> Got it. So we're getting there. We're getting there. So, Brooke, lightning round questions. What's your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? Number one book, number one piece of technology. And I'll repeat the questions. What's your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? Number one book, number one piece of technology. So, I think the number one piece of advice is uh, for it's just to like, Stay calm, like picking up on the theme here, like this too shall pass. It can be ugly in the moment, but we life goes on and uh, things more or less uh, get better over time. So take a breath, keep going. One of the books, I mean, not to be too cute about it, but one of the books that actually I've been reading is called Deliberate Calm. <laughs> and uh, it is about being a more adaptable and resilient leader given the very dynamic and complex environment that seems to be ever, ever increasing in, in the complexity that we are living in. And so that's the one I would offer up. And I, I think a lot about leadership and what's required of me as a leader at work and at home. And that book is, I recommend it if you want to do some self-reflection on how to lead yourself, but then how to lead others as well. And on technology, gosh, I'm a bit boring on that front. I'm pretty analog as a person. I mean, of course, I have all the, the necessary consulting technology. But yeah, I guess if my kids said that, if, you know, I'm trying to see what would they say? I guess it's my my Apple Watch. Um, I do run a lot and I love my watch for just keeping all of the, the data and stats on that. I'm actually training for a marathon. I haven't done a marathon since I had kids and I'm doing a marathon this year, the Mexico City Marathon. So I'm pretty pumped about that. And uh, my watch will come with me. Wow. Just wow. 
uh, and you saying that you're analog, I'm like, of course you're analog. You sold stationery. So, yeah, you know, and and I love the book that you're reading, Deliberate Calm. I'll have to check that out. That's really uh, a nice way of thinking about it, like setting an intention that that's the state that you would want to be in. So those are some really uh, cool ways to think about that. Thank you, Brooke. Okay, Liz, on to you. Same questions. Number one piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent, number one book, number one piece of technology. You know, I am going to come, when it comes to advice, I'm going to come back to the mindful return uh, advice. And, and maybe as you get into the thick of parenthood, it's not, you know, no changes in six months, but, you know, kind of a no sudden moves, right? I think we all have the bad day, the bad week, I, I think it is still important to be deliberate and thoughtful when we make major career moves. So so I think that would be my piece of advice. Um, for a book, you know, one a book that was really helpful to me as I thought about being a working mom in consulting was actually by Laura Vanderkam. Um, I know how she does it. Wait, I think I read it when I was on maternity leave with Anna, my older daughter. And it really helped reframe how I thought about time. So she takes a sample of um, you know, executive women, has them track their time for a week, and then she analyzes it. And the couple things that stuck with me were that concept of a week rather than a day, sort of anchoring how I thought about how I spent my time and and particularly the time I spent with my kids. You know, with if you work in consulting, you are likely to have some travel. And, you know, I did get some questions like you're there are gonna be days you miss. And that book helped me realize, well, yes, but there will also be other days that I spend 16 hours with my children. And so if we think about things from a week and do I feel like I have the right balance over the course of a week? That was just a really helpful orientation in terms of time for me. One of the other interesting findings of that book, though, was we don't work as much as we think we do. And be thoughtful about how you're spending your leisure time. You know, rather than it being kind of, you know, I have my laptop open, I'm sort of answering emails, but also watching TV, but it's kind of just in the background. You know, I really started to think about, okay, Maybe there's two things I need to get done for work after the kids go to bed. I'll do that and then close the laptop and let's like watch a show I really care about or read a book that I'm really interested in. And and so trying to really make sure I'm thoughtful about leisure time versus having this sort of, you know, kind of working kind of leisure time. And then the last question was technology. Um, I would say for me, the Kindle and Libby apps on my phone were real game changers to me. And again, thinking about carving out leisure time, I loved to read, but obviously, you know, lugging a book around with you all the time is not super convenient. And even I have a Kindle, which is great, but lugging that around the house or, you know, when you're off on errands and stuff isn't super convenient either. So I I read over 50 books last year. Majority of them were on the Kindle app. And I've just found it to be, you know, when I'm waiting for a plane to take off or, you know, in line somewhere, you know, you can get these like five or 10 minute bursts of reading in and it adds up really quickly. And it's, it's something I really enjoy doing. 
That's outstanding. The fact that you get a chance to read. And I love how you're also being more intentional about your uh, leisure time. Actually, Lori and I started uh, this year uh, Wednesday night TV. So we put the kids to bed and we don't do anything. We go watch TV. So, um, yeah. Uh, and no well, split shift Wednesday. It's yes. good. This has been an outstanding conversation. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you so much, Brooke. I just want to say like 50 books too, as a working mom and consulting with two little ones, like kudos to you. Hats off. We're so delighted that you joined us here today. Jason and I, I know really love the conversation and know that it will be extremely helpful to other working parents who are navigating their own career and work transitions. If you enjoyed our conversation today, please pass it on to a working parent who might find the conversation helpful and join us again for our next episode with two dads in the management consulting world. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Brooke. It was a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. So fun.